Well, good morning and welcome again to Hope Church Sevenoaks. Uh, I particularly want to welcome you if this is your first time tuning in to our online channel. It's great to see you with us. Um, my name's Adam and I have the privilege of leading the church here alongside my good friend Ian Lettington. And today we're going to take a look at Luke chapter 11. And in particular, we're going to look at two separate passages or teachings from Jesus. So if you've got your Bibles, please open them at uh, Luke chapter 11. And we're going to start reading uh, at verse 29. And we're going to work our way through to 36. So when the crowds were increasing, he, that's Jesus, began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something is greater than, greater than Jonah is here. No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light, but when it's bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Okay, you know, um, <clears throat> Sir Winston Churchill, the famous World War II leader, is something of a hero for many people. Not only in this country, actually, but in the USA, uh, in fact, all over the world. But actually, if you look at him, uh, take a good close look at him, he was a very flawed man in many ways. Uh, he was obviously very overweight. I can't really comment on that one. Uh, but he was also an extremely heavy drinker. And he uh, could be very harsh on people, actually, at times. He had a very cruel wit, which he used sometimes to cut people down. And actually, before the war also, he was seen by many as a warmonger as a guy who wanted war. And also before 1939, he was a man uh, who had overseen a number of military failures. So with all that in mind, what is it that makes so many people admire him? Well, I guess a number of things in reality. But one of them was his ability to clearly understand and see what was going on in his own generation in that pre-war period. You see, he understood that war was coming. He understood the intentions of Hitler in, and Mussolini. He knew that you couldn't compromise and make peace agreements with power-mad dictators who wanted world domination. <clears throat> and he accurately saw what was going on in his time, in his generation, when many other people could not clearly see that. And actually he had to explain things to them, attracting considerable opposition to himself 
And then of course he was proven to be correct. I guess with the benefit of hindsight, we look back on it on him and we admire his perception, his discernment, his understanding into what was going on in his day. As we encounter Jesus in the first of these two passages, we see Jesus traveling throughout Israel with his disciples. And he's really doing the job in this first passage, he's doing the job of of an evangelist. And specifically, what do we see him doing? Well, we see him urging people to see and understand what is going on in their generation, because something completely astonishing is happening among them, something completely unique uh, to them in their time. But tragically, many of them are in real danger of missing it, of just not seeing it. You see that they're failing to see who Jesus is, that he is the son of God, that God himself has come among them in human form and he's walking around with them. He's the one who's gonna set them free from their sin and he's gonna restore their relationship to God. Actually, this Messiah is the one that Israel had been waiting for for thousands of years and they're in danger of missing it. They're in danger of just not seeing it, even though it's happening among them. So instead of finding people who were understanding, Jesus is encountering the people of that generation and finding them to be absolutely blind to who he is. And they're blinded by their doubt and their cynicism, I guess. So he's urging them to wake up and to see and to show some discernment and to see this remarkable thing that's happening under their very noses in their generation. And the way Jesus encourages them to wake up, the way he does it is by shocking them. He's almost like a boxer at this time and he's about to come in and he's about to land multiple punches. And he says some things that to a first century Jewish audience would have been outrageous. The first thing he says to them is this, hey, he says, your generation, he said, your generation in particular is really evil. Well, okay, that's going to get their attention. And he says, yeah, it's really evil because it keeps demanding a sign. This is a whole generation, Jesus is saying, that wants to test the Lord. In other words, they want Jesus to prove himself to them, but on their terms. Even though Jesus has been performing miracles, healings, uh, he's been setting people free amazingly through deliverance, and he's been dispensing wisdom by the bucket load, apparently that's not enough. No, no, Um, we want you, God, to perform (coughs) a few signs on on our, our terms. We don't really believe in you, but we still want you to do things our way. Well, no. God says, no, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You're not going to encounter God that way. Jesus is pointing out your approach is is at fault. And actually, this is what needs to happen. Oh, unbelieving generation. You need to stop doubting and start believing. 
It's, it's not God who needs to do things differently, it's you. Jesus then shocks them again. He shocks them again. This is the next shock that comes in. <clears throat> he highlights a Gentile pagan queen from their history. And then there's another point in their history where there was a group of violent pagans, the Ninevites, who were Israel's enemies. And he says this. He says, you know that lot there? They were more spiritually aware than you are. They showed more discernment into their generation than you did. You are really dull in comparison. Whoa, well, they would have hated that. That is a major shock he's just delivered. And now he's coming in for the third one. And he says this, a day of judgment is coming. And those pagan Gentiles who you despise and thought were evil and you thought they were beneath you, God is gonna cause them to sit in judgment over you. That is not what they were expecting to hear. That is not the way it's meant to be as far as they were concerned at all. When Jesus is saying all of this, he's shocking them because the people of this generation uh, had failed to understand, had failed to, uh, to discern what was going on among them. And so they had failed to believe in Jesus. So Jesus, the evangelist, he's working really hard here and he's trying to wake up an entire generation that is currently asleep with doubt. And if they don't wake up, of course, they're gonna miss out on salvation, this salvation that they have been waiting for all this time. And if they miss out on that salvation, they will pay for that eternally. So he's trying to shock them awake. I don't know if you've ever been shocked awake uh, in your past. Maybe uh, one of your friends when you were asleep, or maybe one of your kids came into your room when you were asleep and just thought it'd be great fun to jump on you and you wake up with that shock and your heart pounding. <gasps> wow. That's what God is trying to do, was trying to do with that generation. He was trying to wake them up so that they could see and not be asleep. Maybe you um, are watching today and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. Well, I want to say in the nicest possible way I can, it is time for you to wake up. It's time for you to wake up from your doubt and your apathy towards God and to recognize who he is before it's too late. Don't, please don't copy the mistakes of the generation that Jesus was born into. Now, look, of course, it's entirely your choice. It's entirely your choice whether you believe in Jesus and choose to follow him as Lord and Saviour. Of course, you're absolutely free uh, to make that choice. But you know what this passage teaches us? One of the things is this, that you are not free from the consequences of the choice that you make. And one day you will stand, as we all will, you will stand before God and be judged and the big question for you and us all at that time will be, have you believed in Jesus or not? And if you have not, 
The Bible tells us that your sin will not have been forgiven you and you will face the unbelievable agony of eternal separation from God. You will know separation from your maker and you will know separation from absolutely everything that is good. It's a terrible, terrible thing. You know, the stakes here are very high. And actually, you have everything you need right now to believe. Jesus Christ died and he rose again three days later. That is the only sign you need in order to believe. You know, I, I do believe that we're currently in another generation that needs to be woken up from its doubt and its apathy. Jesus shocked his generation with the truth. And I hope that what I've just said will kind of help to do the same for you today. Okay, let's move on then to the second passage that we read a little bit earlier. And this is the teaching that's illustrated by a lamp and its light. And it seems to me that uh, actually uh, this passage has a different emphasis to the one that we've just looked at. The previous passage was designed to wake up non-believing doubters. But for me, this passage that we're about to look at uh, now is much more directed towards believers, to Christians. And it's urging Christians to make sure that they are cooperating with God's desire to change us to make sure that we aren't actually resisting God and what he wants to do with us. It also, in this passage, issues us an extraordinary warning. And it says, make sure that you're letting the light in to your life and not the dark. And don't get confused over light and dark. And we'll look at that a little bit later. Right. So how do we approach this passage? Well, I think it's best understood when you remember that the Bible describes Jesus as the light of the world. And then if you pick up uh, that understanding and apply it to this passage, I think it will help you uh, bring some clarity uh, to the passage. So when it talks about lighting a lamp, for me, this is a reference to the light of Christ going on in somebody's life. It's a time when somebody receives Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. So if that is the case, verse 33 then is issuing a very direct challenge to us who are Christians. It's asking this. What are you doing with the light of Christ that is now in your life? How are you handling it? See, that verse 33 shows us that we have a choice about how we will handle the light of Christ. You see, we can put it on a stand and we can let that light shine in the rooms of our life, so to speak. Or if we prefer, we can take the light and we can hide it. We can put it in the cellar or we can put it under a basket where the light of Christ won't interfere with our darkness. To ask another challenging question here. Are we choosing to let what Jesus said, his light, his truth, 
are we letting that fill us or are we preferring to believe something else? You know, there is a real temptation for us as Christians to avoid the light and to live in the dark. Now, look, don't get me wrong. We've become Christians. Uh, We wanted to be saved. We absolutely don't want to go to hell. No, absolutely. But it's the bit where it comes to being changed. We're not quite so sure about that. You see, we don't, we're not sure about it because it's an uncomfortable, often an uncomfortable process. We're not keen on this process of sanctification. That's what the Bible describes as God's desire to change us, to make us more holy, to make us more like Jesus. The Bible's also very clear that humanity generally prefers the darkness of sin over the light of God. We get that from John 3. And humans prefer darkness because we don't want to feel exposed by the light. We don't want the ugly truth about us coming out. We don't want people seeing inside of us and seeing actually there's anger or greed or jealousy or fear or controlling nature or or deceitfulness, all those ugly things. So actually humans become pretty good at burying it or pretending it's not there or sometimes just completely denying that it's in existence in our lives altogether. Because that's what the Pharisees did. Uh, Immediately, interestingly, immediately after teaching on this passage, Jesus is going to be invited uh, to go and eat with some of the Pharisees. And Jesus bluntly says to them, well, you are clean on the outside of the dish, but on the inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You don't bother about uh, your heart and what's really going on. That's what we want, isn't it? Often we want to look good to everyone else and often we want to ignore the reality of what's going on in our hearts. But you know, this last verse here in this passage really shows us what we like. It shows the truth. And it says, well, most of us have areas of light where we've let the light of Christ into our hearts and come and change us. But also we have other areas that are dark where we have not allowed God to come and change us. Just so clear from this passage, God's overwhelming desire is he wants to pour his light and his truth into those dark areas of our hearts. Verse 36 says this, he wants us to be wholly bright, completely bright, not partially bright, not a mixture of light and dark. Because that's why we hold the Freedom in Christ course Uh, each year, such a helpful course that helps the light of Jesus and the truth of of what he says get further into our hearts and uh, transform us. So I just recommend that. Uh, We're certainly looking at running that again later on this year. The other thing I'd say about this is, you know, I think God's really determined when it comes to this process of sanctification and change in our hearts and lives. You know, we're told in Romans 8, a favorite verse for many of us, Romans 8, 28. And we know that um, it says that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. I wonder what God means by good. I wonder if it means the good of being changed into the image of his son. In other words, God will use everything going on in your life right now to change you, to sanctify you, 
to let the light of Christ uh, enter your heart and particularly those areas that are currently dark. The other image that the Bible likes to use or uses at times is this. It talks about a refiner's fire, God's refining fire, and how he allows that to come into our lives to bring change and purity uh, to us. One of the things about the current time, this time of lockdown, is that it is applying pressure to most of us. It's a time of being squeezed in one way or another. It's a time, I think, of being tested. And that means that some of our weaknesses, some of our sins, uh, will come to the surface much more easily and readily than perhaps they did. It's gonna be harder to hold that stuff down. And I think for some of you, it will feel like you're in a refiner's furnace. Of course, in a refiner's furnace, what happens is that uh, uh, they take uh, impure gold, uh, sort of uh, gold that's mixed with muck, and uh, they put it into the furnace. They light a fire underneath, and then, of course, uh, all that gold starts to melt, and then all the muck starts to rise to the surface, and then the refiner comes, and he scrapes off all the muck, and what's left is a much purer form uh, of gold. Wouldn't be surprised if that's happening to many of us right now. Just want to encourage you to be aware of what might be happening in your heart. See, if your ugly stuff is coming to the surface right now, can I encourage you to go to Jesus with it? Confess your sin Confess the stuff that's happening, but then also confess the truth and ask him to change you. The Bible says that uh, ultimately God is the wonderful counsellor. That's how Jesus is described uh, in um, Isaiah. He's the wonderful counsellor. It's helpful to have people to come and counsel us, but ultimately God is our wonderful counsellor and he's the one who can set you free He can show you um, uh, uh, what liberty is like. You know, we need to let this light of Jesus flood into us. One other really uh, intriguing line in this passage is verse 35. And it says this, Be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. Now, what does that mean? And we're being warned very clearly here to take real care over the message. Be careful over this. And what that generally means is that means we can easily make a mistake in this particular area. We can think we're letting light in when actually uh, we're not. So what does Jesus mean by be careful lest the light in you be dark? Well, you know, I'm going to leave that one hanging. I'm going to invite you to be thinking about that this week. Might be a few areas you want to think about. You might want to think about uh, the focus on the exterior of your life and whether uh, 
your heart is actually being affected or whether you just live a life that's about what you look like rather than God's focus on your heart or you, you might want to think about legalistic righteousness and we saw we preached on that a, a few weeks ago looking at um, Luke 5:33, that last passage of the uh, chapter there there's a couple of thoughts maybe to get you going but I'm sure you'll come up with other things what does Jesus mean by be careful lest the light in you be darkness I just want to say to you, if you feel that God has been speaking to you through this talk, particularly over the issues of purity and change, I just want to encourage you to pray a prayer of David. Actually, it was a psalm that he wrote, Psalm uh, 139. And there are just two verses, uh, 23 and 24. David wrote this. He said this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. God is, David was inviting God to run his fingers through him and to see if there was any dark in him. And he was inviting God to pour his light into him and lead him in the way everlasting. In in other words, in ways of righteousness, purity and holiness. Why don't you do the same? Particularly if you're struggling right now, why don't you just pray through those two verses? Jesus, and pray, Jesus, help me to be uh, free. If you aren't a Christian today and you'd like to know more about what it means to have faith in your life, uh, I'd love to encourage you to do an Alpha course Um, These are done all over the country now by a whole range of different churches, Um, not only in this country, actually, in countries all over the world. We are doing an Alpha course. We're doing one online. So you can do it from the comfort of your own living room. And uh, we have people who are joining us from different nations, which is very exciting. If you'd like to be part of that and to have an open conversation about faith, about Christianity, about some of the bigger questions of life, uh, we would love to see you. Uh, uh, come and join in with that. So if you're interested, please send us an email. And if you could email alpha, that's A-L-P-H-A, alpha at hopechurch, and the number sevenoaks.org. Alpha at hopechurch, sevenoaks.org. Be great to see you there. And uh, Ian, my colleague, will, I'm sure, return your email very quickly. Just want to finish then by just reminding you that at quarter past 11 today, There are going to be some chat rooms open. So church, if you'd like to come and grab a cup of tea and then quarter past 11, we can sit down and we can have a chat and we can see each other's faces through Zoom. That would be absolutely fantastic. And then lastly, just to say, if you're not receiving church emails uh, at the moment and you'd like to, please do email me. That's adam at hopechurch, the number sevenoaks.org, and I'll make sure that you receive them. Great to talk to you, great to see you, and hopefully we'll see you at quarter past 11. God bless. Bye.